living in a world? How do we live wisely and happily in this world? And what matters? Last week we talked about the fact that everything matters. Everything matters. If God is going to be the judge in the end, then everything we do has meaning. The way we live our lives, the way we walk with our families, the way we deal with church, the way we work, everything ends up having meaning. Everything matters. We tend to look at life compartmentalized. We tend to think some things are really important and some things not so much important, right? Some things are trivial. But the Bible does not allow us to get away with that. The Bible teaches us that everything you do matters. Everything is meant to be done to the glory of God. Eating and drinking, we're told, is meant to be done to the glory of God. Whatever we do is a way of displaying His glory. And so we come to chapter 4, and throughout the pages of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, as he calls himself, Solomon as we know him, we're learning from his life and from his wisdom and from his experience of Searching the world for happiness. Searching the world for meaning. And he keeps coming back to this reality that life is fleeting. That life keeps just seemingly being out of grasp. He, he likens trying to get ahead and trying to find meaning and purpose and trying to actually do something that's lasting in our own power. He likens that to, to shepherding the wind. As if we're trying to actually contain something that's uncontainable. And there are certain realities that he's been coming back to to help us understand how to live happily and wisely in this world. You have in your bulletins a place where you can take notes. I'd encourage you to do that. You can fill in the blanks as we go. How can we live happily and wisely in this world? First of all, he teaches us that we have to recognize and accept the fact that we are creatures. We are part of the created order. We are not the creator. We are part of what God has made, not the ones who actually made everything. Which means when we accept that position as creatures who have a creator, we're going to be more likely to find happiness. We're not going to be trying for the world in our life to be something it was never meant to be. We belong to God. And it's meant, our lives are not meant for us. Our lives are meant for Him. We're supposed to recognize that life is out of our control. I think we all know that. Yes? If you've lived ten minutes on this earth, you begin to understand life is out of your control. That's why when you're a baby, you go, me, somebody help me, right? Because we begin to understand we can't do it. But the older we get, the more arrogant we get. That's how I know I'm more arrogant than I was last year. Because I think I can control more in my life. I think if I just be, become more successful, if I just get the latest thing, if I have the tech, the gadgets, the ability, whatever it may be, I try to control my life. And if we're going to find happiness and wisdom in this world, we're going to have to understand that life is out of control. Recognize that. Accept the fact that we're not meant to control it. We're to embrace life for what it is, not what we wish it was. So if we understand that life is out of our control, then we begin to understand that everything that we have is a gift. And we no longer need those gifts to be something they aren't. My wife is no longer something to be used for my happiness. But instead, she is the actual gift that brings happiness. Are you with me on this? A meal with my family doesn't have to be more than a meal with my family because that's enjoyable enough. It doesn't have to produce something more. The more we understand that everything we have is a gift, 
then the less we live in wishful thinking land. Today, what Ecclesiastes 4 is going to unpack for us is that so much of our unhappiness in this world is because we're constantly trying to get ahead. We're constantly trying to climb the next rung of the ladder. And we were not meant to be ladder climbers. At the heart of the gospel is this truth. You keep trying to climb the ladder and you keep failing. We keep trying through our good works to earn salvation, to earn God's favor, and we keep failing, right? The heart of the need that we have that's expressed in the gospel. So why would we think if God has come down to us and condescended to us that we could in our everyday life somehow raise our status before him? We're creatures. We need to stop trying to live our lives to get ahead. So often we find unhappiness in this world because we're trying to climb the ladder that we were never meant to climb. We're trying to get ahead of our station in life and where we find ourselves. We want something better. There's got to be something more. And oftentimes what that leads us to is trying to get ahead of others. The way of the world is very simple. Step on the face of the guy beneath you to grab the coattails of the guy ahead of you and pull him down to your level. That's the way of the world. And the Bible is going to tell us, Ecclesiastes is going to tell us, there's no wisdom in that and there's no happiness in that. So I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word with Ecclesiastes chapter 4 as we see from Solomon's experience and as he comes to the end of this experiment of his life and he's beginning to look what he comes to as being essential for happiness and wisdom in this world. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon wants us to live wisely and happily in this world. He wants us to live with our eyes open. 
to actually be exposed to the reality of life. And so how can we live in light of the fact that we live in this fallen world? How can we live wisely and happily? Here in the first verses, he, he gives wickedness a name. Throughout the first three chapters, he's talked about wickedness and evil on the world, but he's been talking about it in generalities. Here he gives it a name, and the name he gives it is oppression. He talks about the oppressions of this world. He, he gives it a face. He says that there are oppressions done under the sun. Everywhere you go, people are being oppressed. He says the tears of the oppressed because they have no one to comfort them. The oppressed cry out, but all the power is on the ones who are doing the oppressing. All the power is on their side. Folks, we live in a world of oppression. And it's really easy for us to say, yeah, that's how I feel. I'm being oppressed. He's not talking about us. How many of you have indoor plumbing? Hey, he's not talking about you. How many of you have a car? Hey, he's not talking about you. Okay. He's talking about the reality that throughout the world, we are actually the minority. We are not the majority world. The majority world has far less than we could ever complain about. And I want us to understand what he's talking about here. I want us to see with eyes open the world. So let me give you two sides to this coin, okay? Here's the reality. If we're going to live wisely in the world, then we're going to have to open our eyes to the reality of the world. Just logically, follow me for just a second. Is it possible to be wise if we refuse to know the truth? No, right? Everybody with me on this? You can't be wise if you don't know the truth. And if we keep closing our eyes to the reality of what's going on around us, we're never going to be able to live wisely. Is everybody with me on this? So let me just, not to be a downer today, but I'm really good at it, so I might as well try, right? Let me give you a few reality checks, just maybe to open our eyes to a little bit of what our world is all about. 45 million Americans live below the poverty line. That's 14.5% of all Americans live below the poverty line. So you're going to Walmart. If the people who are below the poverty line are even in Walmart, because they may not be able to afford it, one in six people in Walmart. Are you with me? Okay. Is below the poverty line. One in every hundred people in the world is forced to leave their home and become a refugee every year. There are 7.2 billion people in the world. One out of every hundred will be forced by oppression to leave their home this year. On any given night, 600,000 people live on the streets in the U.S. and Canada. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram. Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or from their neighbors simply because they're believers in Jesus. But this tells a story that we need to open our eyes to. In the U.S. and Canada every year, over 300,000 people are traded and exploited as slaves for quote-unquote cheap labor, for the sex trade, 
or just traded for money for the use of however people want to use them. And that's in the U.S. and Canada. 300,000 people. There are 300,000 children being sexually exploited every year in the U.S. One in six runaways becomes a slave to human trafficking. The average age? 14. The average price paid? $90. The value of my daughter to our world is $90. Don't close your eyes. That's hard, isn't it? But how could we ever pretend to be living wisely if we don't know the truth? If we don't know the darkness that's out there. This isn't just to paint a bleak picture. This is to paint a real picture. We live in a world where the elderly are expendable, where children are torn limb from limb in the womb and outside the womb, where women are denied basic human rights around the world, and where, if we're being honest, the color of your skin and what's in your bank account determines way too much about your present and future. That's the reality of the world we live in. And we have a tendency to say, man, I've got it good, don't I? Praise the Lord for what I have. And because we don't want to end up like them, we do everything we can to hold on to what we have. What Ecclesiastes 4 is going to tell us bluntly is that's not living wisely. Quite simply, you're doing harm to your neighbor and harm to yourself if we live trying to hold on to what we have when we see a world of oppression around us. Isn't it good news that our Jesus came into a world of oppression and a world that would oppress him and he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? Is that not the hope of our entire existence as believers in Christ? Amen? Then how could we live any differently? But if you're anything like me, you just change the channel. And find something to divert us from the reality of what's going on in our world. You have to understand, anything that we do to paint a different picture or to try to sanitize what's going on or to try to escape it is going to cause us not only to not see it and not be able to live wisely, but it's going to cause us not to be able to love people who are being oppressed. And that will never be right. I want to give you some food for thought today. There are a lot of people who are claiming oppression in this world. And then there are people who are actually being oppressed. Right? We would all agree with that? It's not your job or my job to judge who's who. Because in doing so, we're setting ourselves up as judge and jury. It's our job to live open-handed to the world, knowing that God is the one who justifies and God is the one who gives. God is the one who loves. God is the one who will restore. We're to live like Christ. 
who gave himself over to his enemies. It's hard, isn't it? But when we see oppression and our eyes are open to the oppression around us, we have to live in that reality. The second thing I want you to see if we're going to live in light of this wickedness is we have to open our hearts. And this is where he's going to spend the rest of chapter 4. He, he spends the first three verses reminding us of the reality around us of the oppression. He goes to the point of saying it's the people who have died are better off than those of us who are living. And then he goes on, it's just better not to be born. He's not the first guy to ever say that, right? Is that the first guy to ever feel that way? <clears throat> but I want you to understand that we live in a world where, yeah, it's tough to bring a child into this world right now. And if it weren't for people like us, it would be pointless. So the other side of this is not just to open our eyes, but to open our hearts, to have a compassion for mankind. How should we live in the light of the oppressions we see in a fallen world? The formula seems to be accept that we are creatures and we're part of the problem. Because we've turned our back on God. Because we are part of the sin problem in the world. Accept our responsibility and accept our position as creatures. Revere the only one who can control it, the only one who can actually deal with it. And his name is Jesus. Worship him. Follow him, obey him, then enjoy the gifts that he's given. We are this is not Brad up here saying money is bad. It's not the fact at all. In fact, if you simply flip over to the other side of that sheet of paper, first Timothy six tells us it's not money that's the problem, it's us that's the problem. It's our love of money that becomes the problem. In fact, we're even told in, in James chapter four that all of the quarrels in our lives and all of the conflict in our lives is because we want and do not have. It's our hearts that are the issue. We need to accept that reality. And then we need to enjoy the gifts that we're given. And when God gives us abundantly, we share. We share. That seems to be what Solomon is getting at in Ecclesiastes 4. When he gets to this point, two are better than one. Verse 9. He even says in verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. The fool is the one who just strives for himself or does for himself, and ultimately he destroys himself. He says in verse 4 that the problem with life is that everything we're doing tends to be in order to beat out our neighbors. Envy is driving us to upward mobility. And so, how do we live in this way? First, we have to understand and admit that our desire for more is often the desire just to beat our neighbor. It's to be first. That's why Jesus said the first will be last, and the last will be first. Maybe we have the kingdom economy all wrong when we keep wanting to be first. It's the cause of our quarrels. It's the cause of our hatred of others is the cause of us closing our eyes to the oppression of others is because we want and do not have and when we get we hold on to I'm as guilty of this as anybody else and yet as my eyes are open to the need around me I must live like Jesus who served instead of seeking to be served there's a second reality here and that is that understanding and admitting that an envy of others is destructive is not just destructive to others, it's destructive to us. 
I want to make sure you understand this. He's not saying this, that you'll be more spiritual if you'll just give all your money away. That's not what he's saying. That may be true, but that's not his argument. His argument is this. You're destroying yourself if you keep all your money. That's his argument. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? This isn't a foreign concept to the Bible, right? This is not new. There's nothing new here. It's always been that way. The more we hoard, the more we hate. That's always been God's design is for us to give, for us to share. And we need to understand that when we're envious of what others have, it destroys us. We need to understand that loving others is the best way to take care of ourselves. This is a notion that we have a hard time with. We tend to think, as the world teaches us, that get yours, right? But what is being taught here in Ecclesiastes is very simple. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their toil. He's already said that all the toiling is a waste of time and it's vanity and you can't actually hold on to it. Then he says, let me give you a way you can hold on to it. Toil with somebody else. Have a partner. And he goes on to say, and I love how practical it is. It's like you think it's worthless to work, so get somebody to work with. Then he says, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to get cold at night. You're going to want somebody near you. Right? So to share with others is actually the best way to take care of yourself. Then he goes on, he says, there's going to be really big people who are going to want to beat you up. That's what he says. A man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. He says, there are going to be people who are going to hate you and they're going to want to beat you up. It's going to be really helpful to have a big guy on your side. Make friends. Share with them. I mean, this is how practical he's getting. He's saying, you're going to get cold at night and it's good for you to have somebody to snuggle up to. Right? You're going to get in a fight one day, and it's going to, have good, going to be good to have somebody on your side. And ultimately, if you work your tail off to the end of your life and have no one by your side, it was worthless. The best way to take care of yourself is to share with others. Now, that just might be crazy enough to work. All right. Parents. Isn't that what you teach your kids? Love your sister. Love your brother. Make friends. Be nice to everyone. Right? Don't bite your friends. (laughs) Right? I mean, these are the realities we teach our children. Am I wrong? And then we grow out of them somehow? I don't think we should grow out of them. And I think that what Ecclesiastes is getting us back to is we know the truth, and the truth is life is meant to be lived in community. Gifts are meant to be shared. Birthday parties. The best part about birthday parties are what? It's not the cake. It's not the ice cream. It's the what? It's the gifts. And the best thing when you're a kid and you get the gifts is what? Open it up and do what? Play with your friends with your new toys, right? It's the best part of a birthday party. It's not getting the gifts and putting them on a shelf and saying, this is mine. It's sharing your gifts with your friends. Why? Because you love them. Because they are your friends. Because your stuff is their stuff. Because their stuff is your stuff. It's good for you and it's good for them. One of the things he makes clear here is very simple. It's a very simple concept. You will not be broken if you stand with others. 
A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Two is good, three is better. That's what he's saying. Sharing with one is good, sharing with two is better. And whatever the Lord has blessed you with is going to bring you, and this is what he says, is going to fight the unhappiness of this world. It's going to fight the evil of this world. It's going to fight the oppression of this world. In verse 7 and 8, he tells us that all the vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, he's alone. He has neither son nor brother. He ends up in all of his toil with nothing because he's never satisfied with what he has. But as soon as he gets somebody next to him to share with, there's a satisfaction there. It's an unhappy thing to constantly strive and never obtain. But there's joy in sharing. This is the biblical understanding of community. That's why when the first Christians in Acts began to understand that they no longer belonged to themselves, but they belonged to God, they shared all things in common. Because they began to understand that it was the stuff they had was a gift. It was meant to be shared. There's also this understanding. When we live for we and not me, and that's really the charge today, live for we and not me, then two extremes are avoided. And David Gibson um, really helped me understand this um, in one of his commentaries. The The two extremes we avoid are laziness and manic busyness. Okay? Look back at the passage. It makes it really clear. Verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. The fool is the one who says, look, um, it's not really worth all the work, so I'm not going to work at all. So he just kind of sits in his house and he surrounds himself with all of his stuff. And he doesn't do anything for anyone or with anyone or to do anything. And what does he do? He ends up consuming himself and destroying himself. He uses a pretty crazy idea of him ending up eating his own flesh. But if you've ever been around someone who sits among the hordes of all the stuff that they have, it's pretty true, isn't it? If you've ever had to walk in and clean up after them, it's pretty true, isn't it? This rings true to those of us who know those who would become lazy. But there's another side to this. If we're living for others and not for ourselves, we're not going to be lazy because we have someone that's worth spending our time and energy on. But the other side of this, we're not just going to be manically busy trying to do everything, but we're going to find the best things. And this rings true for Christians, because if you think about it, there's plenty that you could be doing. I mean, backpacks, boxes, peanut butter for backpacks of love here in Powhatan. You can give to everything. Vision Virginia, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You can do all of those things, and please do, right? But... You can spend yourself doing all kinds of things that are good and find yourself so busy that you forget you're actually serving people. There's an eternal reality at play that the number 7.2 billion is actually individual souls. That the 300,000 people who are traded and exploited as slaves in the U.S. and Canada are actual people. And you can do a lot of good things and forget people. When we live for we and not me, we'll never be lazy because we'll care about people. And we'll never be so manically busy that we'll forget about people. So this is the question I want to ask us today. Is the question of your life, is this the overriding question of your life? How am I doing? Or is it how are we doing? 
Are you a getter or a giver? Are you just constantly getting or are you constantly finding ways that whatever you get, you give? I want us to consider our days and how often in our days we spend thinking about ourselves. And then I want us to praise the Lord that we have a Savior who considered that all of the power and all of the glory that came with being God wasn't worth holding on to because he thought first of us. And he came and he made himself a servant. And he died on a cross in our place as a servant so that he would be our Savior. See, if we're going to live wisely in the world, our eyes are going to have to be open. But if we're going to live happily in the world, our hearts are going to have to be open to others. The best way you can nourish your soul is to share. We have to live lives that are exposed. Exposed to the wickedness of the world. We need to understand how bad it is, but then we need to take ownership of that as sinful creatures. The wickedness in our own hearts needs to be exposed. And when that happens, we need to give it to a God who can deal with it. And when we give our wickedness to Jesus, He forgives us. And then He exposes to us the needs of others around us so that we will share the grace that He's given to us. But in the end, what he does is he exposes our need of others. Not just the needs of others, but our need of others. And he brings us to life in community with one another. Folks, let me make sure you understand this. I need you. I need you. I need you for your good and for my good. You need me. As hard as that is for some of you to admit. For your good and for my good. If we will live we instead of me, imagine, imagine what changes. My kids get 75 grandparents. Right? I mean, how's that not good? Your kids get 200 parents and grandparents. I mean, come on. How's that not good? You will never find yourself alone. I got asked this week by someone, I'm concerned because I'm single and one day I'm going to die and everybody's going to forget me and nobody's going to know. My answer was, that'll never happen because you're in this church. We're not perfect at that yet, folks. I'm not perfect at that yet. But that's something to strive for, isn't it? That no one would be that alone. There is oppression in our world. It is not our job to define it. It is our job to fight it. And we fight it with every gift that's given from the Lord, being free to share it with those in need. I want to close today with a thought and with a challenge to you. November the 11th in Petersburg, we have an opportunity, and this is a twofold opportunity for us. It's an event called Bless Petersburg. 
and churches from around Virginia are coming together into the city of Petersburg. And if you're not aware of Petersburg, Petersburg is basically bankrupt and has been for a while. It is uh, actually fiscally bankrupt and morally bankrupt as a city. Um, not a single school in the entire Petersburg school district is accredited. Um, the adult illiteracy rate in Petersburg is the highest of anywhere in the state. Um, the fire department has no money in order to be able to serve the community. We have an opportunity to go in with churches from around the state, hundreds of volunteers, and make a difference one day, but also to build relationships there. And then there's a two-pronged approach to this. One, we're going to serve there, but two, we want to go learn how do we can do it here. We're going to learn how we can partner with our schools, how we can partner with our fire department, how we can serve our own community to meet needs where there is oppression. And if you're like my tendency, you'd say, yeah, some of those people got themselves into that situation. That's not really oppression. Not my job to define it. My job to share. God is the judge. I'm the sharer. That's the way it works. I want to encourage you. I want you to watch this quick video. I don't want to encourage you to just let me know. I'll go. I have about five people signed up right now. I'd love to see 25 signed up to go on November the 11th um, to serve in all kinds of capacities. So watch this video real quick. We found ourselves here thinking, you know, there, there must be something God has for us to do here. The city itself is in such a great need financially, physically, but spiritually as well. You have young people out here that are trying to overcome poverty by getting involved in the, in the drug pet trade. We have people that are trying to overcome their hurts, their hang-ups and their pains by using drugs. There's people who need the Lord Jesus in the Petersburg as well as Colonial Heights. And so this is one way in which we, in this what we're doing at the homecoming, I think it's going to be good for us to reach across, meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Cleaning up leaves or uh, painting a wall or doing something of that nature might seem like a small task, but it would go such a long way into to helping to meet a need that might eventually bring somebody to Christ. We're going to be uh, working with the Petersburg Fire Department. We're going to go with them door to door on an area that they pick out. They choose this, this area for us. And we're going to walk with them and we're going to help them. We're going to be some of the manpower for them. Our church is going to be involved in that. We'd love for other churches to be involved in that. And as we do that, we just engage in conversations with people as we meet them at the door and let them know what we're doing and how we can help them. By being a partner in the Blessed Petersburg program, we're able to fill a void that, quite frankly, at this point, the community wouldn't be able to. We would love to see as many churches in the state of Virginia to come alongside of us and help us. It's going to take all of us working together to, to make a difference. And when people begin to trust you, they begin to hear. And when they begin to hear, you can present the gospel to them. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. So it's, it's, it's right there. We have the platform for it. What we would like to see is Petersburg transformed with the gospel. Because there are so few SBCV churches located within the Petersburg area, two of us to, to speak within the city limits. As we partner with these women who are in such need and as we partner with meeting the needs of a spiritually destitute area, knowing we're not alone in meeting those needs will just help us go that much further towards reaching a city that's in desperate need of knowing Jesus. One day out of your life you can make an eternal impact. 
Or you could toil, as the Bible would call it, right? Together. That's the goal. So I want to encourage you with that. So after the service, if you're interested in helping out with that, just let me know. Or get on Facebook and say, I'll go. And uh, we'll plug you in and make sure that we go as a group and, and serve the Lord together. I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you'd stand with me. We're going to close by reading Scripture together. And here's what this is. We read this just about every week. And sometimes when we do stuff like that, we forget the meaning of it. But I want you to pay attention that God has made us into a people, not into individuals, but into a people. We're a priesthood, a nation, a people for his own possession. That's us together. And we're meant to share in this. And there's a purpose to being his people. And it's